As uh, Pastor Steve said, we're looking at the book of Romans at the minute, and that's um, an incredibly pr profound book of the Bible. I think it was uh, Martin Luther who said the book of Romans is the high point of the scripture. It's sort of, it, there is so much theology and teaching in this book, it's extraordinary. And to, to have an opportunity to speak from it today is a great privilege and an honor. And what we're going to be looking at just briefly this morning is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, the, these, these are some of the most extraordinary words in Scripture. They're all, they're all extraordinary when you read them, aren't they? But right now we're reading this one, so these are the extraordinary ones. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the authorized version. And the, the New Living Translation, which I look at quite a bit, says this. So now there is, the, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. And the word condemnation can be accurately translated punishment. So you can read it like this. So now there is now no punishment for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Now this is forward looking. This is something that's yet to be. This is an end time kind of reach. So in the future, there is no punishment awaiting those who are in Christ Jesus. Good news. Now what this statement or this verse is really doing, Paul is summing up all that's gone before. It's, if you like, a conclusion to the first seven chapters of the book of Romans. And the connecting word is therefore. Therefore, one through to seven, he, he explains his argument, which I'll go into in a little bit in a minute. He, he, he unfolds his argument, and then he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation or punishment to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, chapters 3 to 6, Paul is dealing to a great degree with the issues of righteousness and justification. And so Paul is building this very strong argument. And incidentally, this is not a theological treatise as far as Paul is concerned. This is a letter to the church at Rome to help them to understand Paul's gospel. So Paul is writing to these people, explaining to them the things that are of paramount importance as far as Paul is concerned for a church and individuals within that church to understand. Paul is then writing about the issue of justification, the issues of sanctification. And I want to refer you just to one verse, if I can, to help us understand what was going on when Paul was writing to the Romans. And that's to be found in chapter 5 and verse 1 of Romans. I'm a bit rusty, you know, it's been two years. Let's read that together. I think it's up here. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have just been justified through faith, faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living says this, since, therefore, since... We have been made right in God's sight by faith. 
We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. There's three things I want to just highlight briefly with you this morning from this, this verse. First of all, we are justified or made right. Justified, when you teach new Christians, it's just is as if I had never sinned. Extraordinary. Just as if I had never sinned. That's what Paul's saying to, to the people and to us this morning as we read it. Made right with God. Made and declared righteous. Or right with God once and forever. So you and I today, stand or sit as the case may be, are clothed in the righteousness of Christ because of what he accomplished. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Paul is going back to there, coming up and concluding with that chapter, Romans 8, as I said a few minutes ago. We are made righteous with God. Secondly, this verse says we have peace with God. Now, the peace that Paul is talking about here is not circumstantial peace, nor is it the peace that we feel as Christians. No, rather, it's peace with God. No longer enmity, no longer hostility, no longer separation, but there is a peace being made between the enemy and God. We being at the enemy in this sense because of sin. Adam sinned and that then came upon all mankind. The second Adam came, dealt with that, and now we have peace with God. Each one of these statements is so utterly profound. We are now righteous, made right, just as if we had never sinned. Think about that for a moment. We have peace with God. There is no longer hostility between us and God. And then thirdly, it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing that we could or have accomplished can cause us to have peace with God or to be made righteous with God. Everything about this, everything that we experience in this whole business of no condemnation is simply and profoundly because of what Jesus did on the cross. God visited upon Jesus the sins of the world so that we might not come or pass into condemnation. Jesus did it all. We used to sing a song when I was a kid back in 1904. <laughs> Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. So the punishment that was rightly due us because of sin in, before a righteous and holy God has been visited upon Jesus, as we know, and the penalty for our sins was paid in him, upon him, on the cross, so that we might now be righteous, have peace with God, and no longer live under 
condemnation. We are free, as we've been singing this morning. My chains are gone. I've been set free. So God's righteous standard was fulfilled and met in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ on the cross, who willingly gave his life, suffered the, the guilt and the condemnation so that we could be free from guilt and free from condemnation. The guilt of sin has been dealt with. But also, and you'll find this in Romans 8 too, the power of sin has been dealt with. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the Spirit, after the sign, sign. Put it up if you wouldn't mind. Romans 8 2. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You might be more familiar with this way of putting it. This is the authorized. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Now, the law here is not the law of Moses. It is in verse 3, but in this verse, it's not referring, referring to the law of Moses. What it actually is referring to is a principle or power. And that's why the New Living Translation puts it like this. And because you belong to him, the power, and the authorized says the law, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the law, no, or the power of sin that leads to death. There was a principle operating in mankind prior to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was called a principle or a power <clears throat> excuse me, of sin. It was working. And that's why Paul in chapter 7, toward the very end of the chapter, says, O wretched man that I am, who can free me from the body of this death? Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ. And then it comes up. Therefore, there is therefore now no. Paul, <clears throat> in chapter 7, if you read it, is actually really crying out from his and relating to his unregenerate self. This is what it was like before I knew Christ. When I wanted to, I didn't. When I could, I shouldn't. You remember, you've read the verse, I'm sure, the chapter, I'm sure. And so Paul is crying out because there was a power at work or a principle at work in him and all of mankind up to the point of the cross called the power or the principle or the law of sin. No one could do anything about it. It was not something that people through their works and through their efforts and through their desire to adhere to the they couldn't do it. And Paul saying, wretched man that I was, wretched man that I am, who can free me? He says, thanks be unto God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the guilt of sin was dealt with, but also the power of sin has been dealt with. Because the scripture says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin and death. There is a different principle operating in us. There is a different 
power operating in us. Where before we came to know Jesus Christ and were born again of the Spirit, there was this other power operating in us, causing us to constantly sin. And sin, as you know, is an abomination to God. But he didn't leave us in that state. There is a new power at work. The power of the precious, profoundly powerful Holy Spirit. Within our hearts and lives, the third person of the Spirit is operating constantly, sanctifying us, causing us to become like Christ. And you'll find when you get down into Romans 8.29 whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are becoming like Christ. The power of the Spirit that's working in us is causing us to become like Christ. To the point when we stand before him in that day, we will stand before him and there will be no condemnation. No condemnation. No penalty, no punishment. And that's why it's such a joy to hear that 51 young people gave their hearts to Christ because those 51 young people will no longer be under the condemnation and the yoke of sin because in their lives there will be a different power operating and that power is the power of the Holy Spirit. This little statement, Romans 8.1, is profound in its power. There is therefore now no condemnation. Because there's a different spirit, a different power operating in our lives. Praise the Lord. There's a very familiar scripture that most of us would know, and probably when we're young, new Christians, we, we, <clears throat> we recite this or someone tells it. I want to just read it to you. It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, <clears throat> the dead you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess that you are saved. Wonderful words. So friends, folks, whoever you are, if you can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he raised him from the dead, there is therefore now no condemnation for you, for me. But you know what? I was in the ministry for quite a while, and quite often, I could say, I would have conversations with people who struggle with this, struggle with the issue of forgiveness, struggle with the issue that God could forgive them and erase the slate. And perhaps this morning, it may be some of us. And just for a few minutes, I want to just speak to you, if that is you today. 
There's, there's various reasons why we feel that way. Some of us, some people have an over-accusing conscience. Some people are very sensitive and, and, and their backgrounds are such that it, it's hard to feel forgiven or to believe that they are forgiven. The aptly named accuser of the brethren constantly endeavoring to pull down the sense of assurance that people ought to live under and live with. This constant aggravation, this sense of looking over your shoulder all the time. Maybe not all the time, but some of the time. You're walking along, you're feeling, you're feeling good, you're feeling okay, you're feeling a sense of peace, and all of a sudden, the accused of the brethren will just sow a little thought. Remember? Remember? And usually there's a little hook to it. And you look over your shoulder, and all of a sudden, again, there's this sense of condemnation, this sense of, of guilt. You may even believe in your thinking, yes, I do believe that there is therefore now condemnation, but at the sort of the, when the rubber hits the road thing, you, you're going, I'm struggling with this. And I think if we're truthful, and I'm self-included, we all struggle or have struggled from time to time with this issue. But as I said, some more than others. Let me read you a psalm or a verse from a psalm. It's Psalm 130, verses 3 to 4, NIV. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? There is this sense in some that there's this record, remember, remember, remember. You see, the one who's reading out the list is not the Lord. It's the accuser of the brethren. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has put our sins from us. Then it goes on, it says, the most beautiful, beautiful words. <clears throat> if you kept the record of sin, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And you and I know that the psalmist had some issues he had to deal with. And no doubt, there was coming sometimes these accusations and thoughts. And he comes to the conclusion, but with you, there is forgiveness. Friends, but with him, there is forgiveness. And he doesn't keep a record of our sins. They are dealt with at the cross. And should we fail from time to time? John 1 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, God has made provision at every level 
The big issue, capital S sin, has been dealt with. The small s sin is being dealt with as we go through this whole sanctification process. God is causing us to become. Let me give you an example, perhaps, to help you with this. I want to read you a few verses from Scripture. I want to read you from John chapter 21. It says I've got three minutes left. Is that what that is, Steve? Three minutes? Three point... You just wasted several seconds of my time. (laughs) It'll take me half now to read this. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. This, listen, he called out to them, friends. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the, on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to hold the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loves said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into... Now, Peter's an interesting guy, isn't he? Most of us would take the outer garment off and jump into the sea. No, Peter puts his outer garment on and... Anyway, there you go. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let me just stop there. I've read this. I read this a lot, this, because it gives me an insight into the nature of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature and the character of God. You want to know what Jesus, God is like? Look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Look at what he said. And you'll know what the Father's like. And so Jesus, here, he was, he was beaten. He was blasphemed, he was betrayed, he was crucified, he rose from the dead, and here he is preparing breakfast for his disciples. All of his disciples, not just Peter, deserted him. Peter is, is kind of focused on because of his vehement denials of him. But they deserted him in his hour of need. They fled. And I find it absolutely phenomenal to think that here's Jesus having gone through and now resurrected. He's on the shore preparing breakfast for these guys. What does that say to you? What does that say to me? It is a phenomenal example of the overarching love of God and it is also an incredible indication of what God's like, what's in his heart. This whole sense of love and forgiveness that is at the very core of his being. 
You struggle, perhaps, with forgiveness. These guys, did, they denied him. They fled from him. They turned their backs on him. If you're struggling with this sense of guilt, is a good indication to me that you have not done that. For if you had done that, it wouldn't be a problem for you. You want to serve God, and at the core of your being, you love him. These guys forsook him, and yet here is Jesus standing there. And everything about the scriptures is to teach us about the nature of God. Here is Jesus preparing breakfast for these guys. It sounds so trite, but if you'll think about it, it is absolutely profound in its implications and what it means to them and what it means to us. Now, I don't think Jesus is preparing your breakfast or your lunch when you go home. You might have to look after that yourself. But the truth, the truth of this He loves you in your struggles. He loves you. He's trying to show you that he does. And you might say to me, well, Phil, I think that's probably true for them, but maybe not for me. Let me read you another scripture. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What Jesus demonstrated to those disciples, the demonstration was a reflection of what was going on in him. That is what he thinks about, and that's what he thinks toward you this morning and from this morning. Well, maybe there's another one you can give me just to help me to kind of reinforce this. Yeah, there is. Romans 2.11. It says this. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't have favorites. What he did for them, his attitude for his disciples is exactly the same as it is to you and to me this morning. Exactly. Exactly. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't. This is the truth of God's Word. God's Word is the standard. God's word is what we base our lives upon. This is the truth of God's word. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the power has changed. The principle has changed. It's not what it was. It's what it is. The power of the Holy Spirit is working in us. This morning, I'd like to pray, if I may, for anyone who might be struggling with the issue of forgiveness, with this whole business of condemnation, struggling with the accuser, 
I'd like with you today, and I'm not coming from a place of don't, that doesn't understand, I struggle to. I'd like for us to draw a line in the sand today and say on the 27th of March, 2022, God said to me, there is therefore now no condemnation. If that's you this morning, would you bow your head? Just so they can have a private moment. Just close your eyes if you wouldn't mind. If, if that is you today, would you care to indicate to me by the raising of your hand, and I would love to pray for you. Thank you, folks. Just leave your hand up. Heavenly Father, this morning, we are in your most holy presence because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us. And you see the hands raised of my brothers and sisters today who are struggling a little, as we all have from time to time. And I pray today that you would make it so clear to them that they have passed from death to life that there is no condemnation and that Jesus your attitude toward them is the same as your attitude was to the disciples an attitude of love of forgiveness of restoration of healing and wholeness I pray that today as we sang before, some chains would fall off so that my dear friends would no longer be looking over their shoulder and no longer succumbing to the accuser, but rather would be set free in their hearts, knowing that there is peace with God because of what's been accomplished. I pray that in Jesus' name.